0: Thank you, Pastor Dave. It's great to be with you again. It was, I think, in December last year that I was here, and and I remember just the snow coming down. There was a huge storm that day, and uh, we don't have a lot of snowstorms. We have cold weather, um, probably very similar to here, but not a lot of snowstorms in, in China, and so... It was wonderful to just see that snow come down. I know you guys were kind of tired of it, but I was enjoying it. We came home in February. So actually, we were here in December, and then we went back to China. And then it was beginning of February that our organization did a mandatory evacuation because of the whole COVID thing. And, and there were still unknowns, it seems like, but there were really unknowns at that point, And I didn't feel like we... Um, really needed to come home, but that was their decision. Once the State Department went to a level four, they kind of went to a level four, and that meant we needed to come home. And so we are now trying to get back there, and now it's kind of um, – China has a lot of different regulations um, in coming back, one of them that we would quarantine for 14 days, and they'd at least separate out Lydia – and myself in two separate places, so we just don't know what that means and what that would look like. So we're trying to um, uh, just uh, wait and just see when we can when we can go go back to there. Um, we are able to continue ministry here, and that's our family. We have a couple of daughters, three daughters in um, California area. One's married, and so um, that was. That's our family there. Lydia and Faith are with us here. And um, so we had a wonderful time with our girls when we first came back. We stayed a couple months there in California and a wonderful time there. And then I grew up down in Rushville, New York. And so that's where we are, not at the old farmhouse that I grew up in, but, but my parents had sold that, moved down to Tennessee, and then came back up. And so... I uh, live there in a town next to it called Middlesex and my mom has a place there that we're we're staying at. So that's been a real blessing. And that allows us to be here with you this morning, which we're we're really thankful about. Just ministry wise, I've kind of detailed that for you in the past and probably most of you kind of know vaguely what we're doing, but I have a translation business there. And then this is a Skype call or a Zoom call that I'm using. A very familiar picture at this point um, with just the Chinese pastors. And so I'll be on a Zoom call with them this Friday evening from about nine to midnight. They're nine to to noon in the morning, Saturday morning. And so we're still able to do that. That's a blessing. Then each week I I, I Zoom with my staff a couple times each week. And um, Isaac, he's working on a couple of things. He's working on... the. Um, theological Word Book of the New Test or of the Old Testament, published by Moody Press. So we are doing two lexicons. We've gotten the Hebrew one done. These are formatted. These were gladly, thankfully, already translated in Chinese. And so these are added to that pastor's toolbox, which has commentaries, different resources to help pastor prepare sermons. And and again, this is your. Your ministry. This is your ministry in China. It's not. I don't see it as my ministry. I see it as your ministry. I'm just an outreach of the of your church in a different place. And you can see I'm not doing very well with my language either. Uh, this is what we're currently working on. So Lily there does the main editing of these and organizing of all the different translators that are working from their homes. So we just put Hebrews on or at least has been sent to hong kong to be put on the website and then those are some of the different commentaries different books that we're currently working on so the work continues on there and then oh i have one more staff that i wanted to mention she does some of the um uh, just internet stuff, so social media, WeChat, which maybe you've heard of now because, like with uh, TikTok, I guess it is. They're they're closing that down from from a American point of view, but we have some sixty thousand followers there on our WeChat groups there um, that are that are just putting our materials that we translated and stuff out there. So the Lord continues to use. Um, your ministry in China to to um, affect many people. And just thank you for um, your your faithful support over the last couple of years. And I just want to individually thank you for going to work or using some of your retirement to give to the church, and some of that goes towards the ministry in China. And so thank you for um, just your support and encouragement in that. Um, we can go ahead and turn there to Psalm 51. We're looking at um, David's psalm of of repentance. So you can turn to Psalm 51. When I was in grad school down in Virginia at Virginia Tech, and I used to teach some of the classes there during the time I was in grad, grad school, I was like an intern there. And what I would do after... Um, like the last day of class or, or maybe before, like a week before the last day of class, I would come in and I would bring in a bunch of more than a carpenter books um, from Josh McDowell and I would put those on the desk and then I would just share about probability, the probability of evolution happening and um, and then just talk about um, how there's a different view of things. And I don't think I could probably get away with that at this point if I were to do that. But I was with somebody recently, and he was teaching at a Christian school. And he, was, he te- taught math as well. He's a, he a pastor and just teaches a few classes for this Christian school. And one of the things that he would do is he would have his students calculate how many sins... Um, they commit in a lifetime, right? And so he would do different. What if he committed once in a year or once in a month or, or things like this? And, and it comes to, if you, if you calculate things, if you commit a sin every five minutes, which I don't think is extreme, all right? If you think about your thought life, your motives, things like that, I mean, that's about four million sins in a lifetime. And so four million sins, and you think about what Christ has done, what Christ has forgiven. But even in the midst of that, we need to think about what is true repentance? What is true repentance from those four million sins that that we commit in a lifetime? It's not just about repentance to salvation, it's about a daily repentance in our lives as we focus on sanctification, as we focus on serving the Lord and and having purity in our lives in all different areas. And so we want to look at, at this psalm today. There is a false repentance, or maybe better put, a false sorrow. Paul would tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 7.10, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And I think sometimes we have a sorrow of the world. And I think often as believers, we mistake the feelings of guilt with genuine repentance. If I'm really guilty, then I must be really repentance. But, a, but guilt or a keen sense of justice does not equal repentance. There are people that have felt so guilty about a certain sin that they've actually committed suicide, or have felt such a sense of justice in their lives that they've murdered someone that has, that has wronged them or maybe wronged a family member. So just that idea of guilt or that idea of justice doesn't necessarily mean true repentance. Repentance. How can we have that godly sorrow that leads to repentance without regret that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7.10? What are the marks of genuine repentance? I think most of us are familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. For time's sake, we're not going to look at that account which is recorded in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. I would encourage you sometime today or sometime this week to read those chapters. After David was confronted by the prophet Nathan over his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and murder of her husband Uriah, he would, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write Psalm 51. We want to look at this psalm today to see the marks of genuine repentance. So look with me there at Psalm 51. I'm going to be reading that. I'm going to be reading from the NASB. I forget what Pastor Dave uses, but if you have the ESV, is that what you're, you're using here? That's fine. Anyways, you can compare. I think actually that's helpful. I forgot to ask which version. For the, the Psalm 51, for the choir director of Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inmost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue would joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then You will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offering, then your bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's just open in a word of prayer. Father God, we are just thankful for the life of David, Lord, how we can um, read about him. We can read about his triumphs. We can read about, Lord, his sins. Lord, but in in all of this, he was still called a man after your own heart. And that's what we desire for ourselves this morning, Lord, that we are men and women and teenagers and children, and that we are ones with hearts that desire you, with hearts that are hearts after your own, Lord. And so we pray as we look at these marks of genuine repentance, Lord, that we would understand, your, your love for us, that we would understand your desire for us to be in right relationship with you through a repentant heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we look at the genuine marks of repentance, the first mark we're going to look at is that genuine repentance trusts in the character of God. Genuine repentance, trust in the character of God. As you compare the lives of David and Saul, trust in the character of God is a major issue. As you think about Saul, what's Saul issue? He just couldn't trust God. He always had to manipulate the circumstance. He always had to do something to try to make things right in his mind. And so you have this major difference between Saul and David, and I think the major difference is that David trusts the character of God. We see this first in the idea of just David's plea there in the first verse there where he says, be gracious, be gracious to me. It's a plea for undeserved favor from God, a plea for undeserved favor From God. And he's going to make this plea based on attributes of God. He's going to make this plea based on what he knows about the character of God. And the first thing that he does is he makes a plea based on God's steadfast love. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And it's this idea of, of your steadfast love, or some translations translate it, your loving kindness. In, in the Hebrew, it's, it's this idea of hesed, this hesed love. Speaks so, not so much about God's mercy, but of his loyalty to his covenant, to his promises. We see this use of this, Um, verse, this word in in Psalms, in a verse in Psalms, Psalm 25, 7, Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. And Psalm 130, verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness and with him is rebund um, abundant redemption. Turn with me over to Psalm 136. Now, we could all write a psalm like this. The psalms, obviously, were very David, one of them, very talented people writing them. But Psalm 136, I think we could all do this, right? Give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for my family, for my spouse, for all that he has blessed me with. And that's what this psalm is psalmist is doing? Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Give thanks to the Lord for His character. But then every phrase for what? For His steadfast love endures forever. Every verse in this psalm talks about God's hesseded love. A couple of chapters over, one, Psalm one thirty-eight verse two. I will bow down to your towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. And then Isaiah 54, 10 kind of ties this idea of God's covenant love as well. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake. Everything may change. Everything may be destroyed. Everything may be different. But my loving kindness will not be removed from you. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And so we have this this hesed love that David is depending on for God to be gracious to him. Loving kindness, steadfast love, covenant loyalty, or covenant-keeping faithfulness is the way that this word is translated. This is what David is depending on. When David said in verse 16 of, of Psalm 51, that God would not delight in sacrifice or burnt offering, there was no sacrifice for any intentional sin. The Old Testament saint would have to wait for the Day of Atonement. Just think about that with me. I remember a professor in seminary saying to that, that there was no sacrifice for intentional sin in the Old Testament. That people would have to wait till that One day of year, that day of atonement when all the sins of Israel were covered. You couldn't just do an intentional sin and run to the temple and make a sacrifice for it. And so David, there is no sacrifice for him. There's no sacrifice for murder. There's no sacrifice for adultery. David had committed two sins, both requiring death by the Mosaic law. That's why Nathan, after confronting David, says to him, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Although we don't usually feel the full extent of it, we are in the same state as David. The wages of our sin is death. There is no sacrifice we can offer. There is nothing we can do to rid ourselves of the guilt of our sin. For us as believers today, this hesed, this This loving kindness, this covenant, steadfast love, that's simply the gospel. God has redeemed a people in Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. David is in a place where he is experiencing the fullness of God's loving kindness. His steadfast love. As we are reminded of our sin, it is at the cross where we see God's loving kindness, his steadfast love, his covenant promise that Christ's perfect life has been imputed, it's been applied to us. That is the gospel. It is the gospel that we need to remember and apply to our lives every day. Jerry Bridges, who wrote a book called The Gospel, for everyday life, says the following. This is the amazing story of God's grace. God saves us by His grace and transforms us more and more into the likeness of His Son by His grace. In all our trials and our afflictions, He sustains and strengthens us by His grace. He calls us by grace to perform our own unique function within the body of Christ. Then again, by grace, He gives to each of us the spiritual gifts necessary to fulfill our calling. As we serve him, he makes that service acceptable to himself by grace and then rewards us a hundredfold by grace. It's all of grace. It's all because of God's love, his loving kindness to us. And and this is what David is asking for. He's asking for God to be gracious to him based on the loving kindness that God has, the attributes of God. He's he's relying on the character of God that he knows to be true and that he knows to be unchangeable. And then the third thing he mentions here is the third thing is God's compassion. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy or your compassion blot out my transgressions. The more we understand God's character, His love, His compassion, the more we will desire to serve Him. Spurgeon talks about compassion this way. When I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my chest to think that I could ever have rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. And so it's God's um, Hesed love, is his loving kindness, it's God's compassion. And then thirdly, it's just, uh, it's just God's forgiveness. God is, David is pleading for God's grace based on God's loving kindness, based on his compassion, and based on the, the forgiveness that he knows that God will offer. You cannot come to God on your own righteousness. This is what the Jews were trying to do. And Paul in Romans 10 would say to them, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. So often we are trying to establish our own righteousness. Establish that, that we are as bad as as we think. God's grace as seen in his loving kindness and compassion is the basis for the request from David in the end of verses 1 and 2. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Three words there, blot out. This is used at the time of The Noahic flood when God blotted out or destroyed everything that walked upon the earth. And so this word means to blot out, to obliterate. Then he says, wash me because of your love, because of your compassion, because of your forgiveness. Have grace on me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my sins. Cleanse me from my sin." We see these words again in in the verses 7 through 10 of Psalm 51. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David knows that only God... Can blot out, wash, and cleanse. Only God can forgive. As we think about what God has done for us through Christ, our very cry should be that of of the the one that the Israel's that the Israel's made as they were captive in Babylon. Isaiah would say to them, "Remember these things." I, God, have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. And the response of the Israelites, shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains. And that should be our response. Our response to thinking through what God has forgiven us because of His grace, His love, His compassion, His his ability to forgive all that He has forgiven us from. And understanding that grace, and understanding that loving kindness and that compassion, it might tempt us to minimize our sin. To say, well, you know, God will forgive that anyways. But David doesn't minimize his sin. And so the second point there is, in the marks of genuine repentance, is genuine repentance does not minimize sin. does not minimize our sin. There are times where every ounce of our pride, self-reliance, self-esteem, self-righteousness stands up and says, I am not as bad as you think I am. We are so masterful at excusing our sin, renaming our sin, blaming others for our sin. We say words like mistake, weakness, failings. We see this in how we ask forgiveness. You know, you young people, when your parents catch you doing something or your brother or sister tell on you, you know, what's your response? Is your response like, yeah, dad, I know. I'm a sinner. I really shouldn't have done that. What is the response? Well, he did it first. Or she did this. Or she took this. And you know what? Us adults are kind of laughing. But you know what? We are no better. Right? What do we do? We do things like, oh, sorry about last night. You know, I was just really tired. No, you weren't tired last night. You were angry last night. All right? And so, so we talk about things like this. And we don't, you know, I met Harry today, and, and it's, it's a whole lot different to just say, oh, sorry, Harry, sorry about yesterday. Or to go up to Harry and say, hey, Harry, please forgive me for my attitude yesterday. You know, that, that causes Harry, he keeps on looking at me. It makes me a little nervous. But <laughs> that makes Harry have to respond to me. I've got to look him in the eye. And he has to say, I, I, oh, I'll forgive you. And you know, it's funny, you, you do that with people and they don't sometimes know how to act. Oh, oh, it was nothing. It was, I think, well, no, it was something. I had sinned. And, and so we, we, we just minimize our sin. Well, David doesn't minimize his sin at all. Look at the words that that David uses here. First one is transgressions, rebellion. This this uh, word means rebellion, or revolt, those who reject God's authority and therefore cause a breach of relationship. Iniquity uses three times crooked, twisted or perverse behavior. Sin is also used three times missing the mark or or falling sure. And he, he explains there in verse 4 that 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 it's against God that we've ultimately sinned. We hurt people. David had devastated people's lives. Think of Uriah's family. But, but he had ultimately sinned against God. We sin against God. Our sin will hurt people. But we sin against a holy God. Fourth word that is used here, is, is evil. It's the opposite of good. I know I didn't have to come from around the world to tell you that evil is the opposite of good, all right? But it, it's, it's, it's also this idea where um, it, it's accompanied with in the sight of and, and done what is evil, verse 4 there, in your sight. It's a subjective idea of good. We see this use in Isaiah 5.20, where Isaiah says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. But evil in the sight of God is evil. No matter how turned upside down the world may become, honestly, the world has become. God's standard of what is evil is absolute it is this thinner and not man's thinner that David had sinned against. And then the fifth word he uses here is blood guiltiness. He had committed murder, shedding of innocent blood, often through violence. And so we see that what is David saying here? He's not, he's not trying to minimize his sin. He's not trying to call it by by different names. And, and note how the personal pronouns he attaches to in verses 1 through 4, they're verse 1, my transgressions. Verse 2, my iniquity, my sin. Verse 3, my transgressions, my sin. In verse 5, David explicitly, explicitly acknowledges that by nature, he is a sinner. He's not using this to excuse his sin by saying, as some people do, you know, well, it's just just my nature. It's just the way I am. He is saying that my sin goes even deeper than adultery and murder. I am by nature a sinner, and only God can rescue me, cleanse me, and wash me. We are sinners by nature, and we can only be rescued because of the gospel, because of Christ. David's sin is heavy on his heart. That is why he expresses in verse 3, my sin is ever before me. Do you have a sin in your life that is ever before you, that you dwell on, that you think about? Christ did not go to the cross that you could dwell on some past sin. David is not waiting until he feels better about his sin or until he does some righteous act so he will feel better about himself. He is able, unashamed, to come under the full weight of his sin because he understands the full weight of God's grace, grace best based on his loving kindness and compassion. All of Scripture is ultimately imploring you to discard the filthy rags of your own righteousness and to understand and cling to the righteousness already supplied by God in Christ. Our third point Third, sorry for these green slides. Those were a different church that I spoke at. I thought I took those out, but I must have sent you the other PowerPoint. Genuine repentance expresses the justification of God. This is kind of interesting. Genuine repentance expresses the justification of God. Against you and you only have I sinned, verse 4, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David does not downplay his sin or try to vindicate himself. He actually is spending his time vindicating God, justifying God, having a right view of the character of God and a right view of ourselves will produce an outward expression of the justification of God. David never calls into question God's right to judge. God is blameless in all his actions in David's eyes. And unless you think David gets off easy with his sin, read the chapter headings from 2 Samuel 13 to the end of the book. All of them, almost all of them, are talking about just terrible things that are happening in his family. And, and and God, Nathan had told him, the sword will not depart from your family because of this sin. And so David would live the rest of his life when he cries, when finally Absalom is killed and David finds out about it, he says, oh, would, I, would that I have died. And I really believe he's thinking back to this. Would God have not just taken me and not had the sword be in my family and I would see... Um, a stepbrother, rape a stepsister, and I would see a brother kill another brother, and I would see all these things happen. But in all of this, David doesn't blame God. David justifies God. I remember calling a pastor, and he had come to a church in Virginia and really had a hard time at that church to begin with. And And I had called him and asked him how things were going, and, and he said, you know what? Um, things are going really well. And I I just said, you know what? You deserve that. And he just immediately said, Mark, I deserve hell. And and that's really the truth. We deserve hell. John Piper says, God is justified. God is blameless. If God casts David into hell, God will be innocent. This is radical, God-centered repentance. This is the way saved people think and feel. God would be just to send me to hell. The problem with God's grace, His chesed, loving kindness, His compassion, is that we become very familiar and expecting of it. And the day that we simply get a small taste of what we deserve, we claim that that we have been treated unjustly. We're complaining to people about what's going on when we just get a small taste of what we really deserve in this life. There's an example that maybe you've heard R.C. Sproul tell of of how he goes to, um, he's teaching this class, freshman class, has 150 students, goes in first day, three papers, papers can't be laid, he lays everything out, these are the dates of the paper, first date comes, Think 125 um, students hand in their paper. 25 don't have it. And they said, sorry, we just didn't make the transition. We're freshmen. Please have grace on us. And he has grace on them. Okay, I'll give you grace. Second um, due date comes. 100 students come with their paper. And again, you know, it was, what, homecoming week or something. and, And we have a lot of midterms. okay. I'll give you grace, but don't let it happen again. Next time, third paper comes. Seventy-five students come with their paper. And and only R.C. Sproul can tell this, but he's like, Adams, where is your paper? Don't worry about it, prof. I'll get it to you next week. And he goes, Adams, F. And then he goes, somebody else, Dave, where is your paper? Not not you. (laughs) Where is your paper? All right, F. And then somebody in the back of the room cries out what? That's not fair. And he goes, who said that? You know, Samuel, you say that? Yeah, I said that. I I, I think I remember last time you were late on your paper. Is that right? Yeah, okay, I'll give you an... You want fairness? I'll give you an F for that paper as well. And so we just get used to We get used to this mercy, this loving kindness, this grace that God gives to us every day, every minute of our lives. And we get so that we are expecting it. We expect it. And we actually can get upset at God because of something that happens in our lives. You know, I I hear people say, and and I, I understand people have gone through tremendous tragedies in their lives, but, you know, I'm just mad at God. And it's like, we, we really don't understand, all of us being included, the grace and the mercy and the love that God expresses to us every day. Well, David wasn't mad at God. David's sitting there and saying, God, you are just in everything that you're doing here. Fourthly, sorry, I'm not really good with the PowerPoint here. You know, uh, So those were just, when I preached this sermon at another church, those were seven foundations of a healthy church. Tie these into, it's my mom's church, and so I tried to tie these into his series. Okay, so just understanding that. Sorry, those are up there. Um, Genuine repentance, number four, renews joy in salvation. Genuine repentance renews joy in salvation. Make me to hear joy and gladness. That the bones which you have broken rejoice. Guilt creates distress and robs our joy. Guilt keeps us in a pattern of joyousness and trying to pull ourselves up by own bootstraps made of self-righteousness. Verse 12, David would say, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. What is interesting about this psalm is that it never mentions adultery, but that's where it all started, right? Or is it? David, joy was not lost because he sinned. David sinned because he had already lost his joy in God. And only through this true repentance can that joy be restored. Christians give in to sexual sin and a host of other types of sin because they do not have fullness of joy in Christ. They are looking for joy in all the wrong places. The mathematician Blaise Pascal said it this way, There once was in man a true happiness of which now remained to him only the mark and empty trace which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings. Sorry, I thought I might have that quote up there. Um, From all his surroundings, seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. But these are all inadequate because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say, only by God himself. And Jonathan Edwards would state it a little bit more succinctly. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. And so we need to be looking for that joy in God. A joy that we can only have from God. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a longer quote, but he says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. A joy that we find in a right relationship with God. That joy that we can only find as we have the right repentance, the right view of God, and the right view of our sin. And then, Fifthly, genuine repentance leads to a focus on evangelism. This is really just an amazing, amazing part. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. So many of us think that because of our past, because of our sin, Because we haven't been totally triumphant in our lives. We can't be witnesses. We can't be used for the kingdom. Join David in saying, no matter what I've done, God can use my sin and repentance to cause people to come to Christ. People are not looking for us to be perfect. They are looking for how God has met us in our sin, in our brokenness, in the struggle of daily life that they are experiencing every day. Now, I, I remember I was in China and Beijing, and um, this was early on. We had had a couple of people that had come and been saved in our, in our Bible study that we, were, we, were, um, we had started and were having. And, and one of the young ladies, I think it was me in the front and Charity and this young lady were in the back of the taxi, and this taxi was taking us somewhere. And I thought he was cheating me, and so I got really upset. You know, like I knew the Beijing roads better than him, but um, and so i really get upset with him, and and uh, and then I realize, oh, he's not. There's one-way streets and different things like that, and so I sit there and like, oh, I've just really blown it. Of course, I had blown it, whether he was or wasn't, but I really had just. Blown it and so I, I sat there and I asked the taxi cab driver to forgive me, to Liu and Liangwa. All right. And I just thought, man, the new believers in back and it's just this is not good at all. And I just that just made the biggest impression on her. That the idea that she had had trouble with Um, just forgiving her parents for certain issues and things like that, and the idea that I would sit there and ask a taxi cab driver to forgive me made a huge impression on her. You know, David had committed adultery, murder, his son had died, and he has a continued promise of sorrow in his own household. But in all of this, he has a deep desire for the Lord to use this in the lives of others. He will not be content until his broken life is used to bring others to God, bring others to repentance. And that's the way we need to look at our lives. That we are we striving even in our sin, even in sharing our difficulties to bring others to the saving love, that hesed love that we see in Jesus Christ. Finally, genuine repentance produces worship from a broken, humble heart. O Lord, open my lips, verse 15, O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. This is what we see in in the verse in 2 Corinthians 6.10 where Paul says, "We We are sorrowful, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. And so there's this dichotomy between what we're feeling. There's this tension as we look at ourselves and we look at our sin. And, yet, and we look at what Christ has done for us. And we rejoice at what Christ has done for us, but we are still sorrowful. And so you, you have this tension. Jonathan Edwards would, would say it this way in his book of Religious Affections, and I end with this. All gracious affections, all gracious feelings and emotions that are a sweet aroma to Christ are broken-hearted affections. A truly Christian love, either to God or men, is a humble, broken-hearted love. The desire of the saints, however earnest, are humble desires. Their hope is a humble hope. And their joy, even when it is unspeakable and full of glory, is a humble, broken-hearted joy. And that's what David would have. That's what a man after God's own heart will have, is that broken, humble, contrite joy in what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for your mercy and your grace that we have each day, Lord. We're Thankful for David and for, Lord, again, his life, for all that um, he experienced, Lord, for his giftedness that you gave him as a person, Lord. And we're thankful for that his faults, Lord, for his sins that are recorded, Lord, and help us to learn from them. Lord, I pray that we would, we would have contrite, broken hearts, Lord, that we would understand who you are. We would see our sin for what it is, Lord. And we would cast ourselves on your grace based on your your loving kindness and your compassion, Lord, to forgive our sins because of what Christ has done on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.